Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the SaaS Product Power Breakfast. Uh, our guest today is Aaron Kalb, co-founder of Alation, and we'll be talking about design, data, and disagreement in product management. My co-host is Thomas Otter, uh, joining us from Germany today. Um, and, uh, and Aaron, why don't we do a, just a go? Oh, by the way, the room is being recorded and will be released uh, on the SaaS Product Power Breakfast podcast. Aaron, uh, how, how are you, Aaron, first? I am doing really well. I'm, I'm really actually honored to be here. I've been super impressed by your lineup of guests and hope I can contribute something interesting for your listeners. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming. I'm super excited to do this. Uh, as you know, we view this as a, uh, as a podcast recorded in front of a live audience. So we have a few folks joining us today, which is great. Uh, hopefully we'll get some questions. If you're in the audience and you want to ask a question at any time, you know the drill. Please raise your hand and, and we'll get to you. Uh, Aaron, let's. Uh, how about we do a quick self-introduction for those who don't know you? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep this uh, brief because I'm a huge nerd, and so I always can geek out about, about aspects of my uh, uh, past. But basically, a, a few parts. Uh, first was at Stanford. Um, got a BS and MS there in Symbolic Systems, a uh, incomprehensibly named uh, major that I am happy to talk about if anybody cares. Um, my master's thesis there was about a human-computer collaboration paradigm for um, um, computer uh, translation. Um, and uh, the first thing out of school I tried to do was to commercialize that in a startup that failed uh, completely, but also very quickly before we'd raised money. And I'm still good friends with my co-founders. So uh, lessons learned there uh, uh, for sure. Um, did a stint at Apple, um, worked on a bunch of things, um, a prototype of what may or may not have become the Apple Pencil. And I mean that totally sincerely. It's so siloed there. I don't even know if it was like independently produced somewhere else or if the thing I submitted actually got made. Um, uh, and a bunch of other things. But um, mostly uh, what I did there that's of note is I joined um, Siri co-founder Tom Gruber. He was their CTO and SVP of design uh, in what became the advanced uh, development group for Siri. So that group put out like, hey, Siri, stuff like that. Uh, I worked on hands-free text messaging and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and then um, left Apple to co-found Alation, where I've been for eight years now. And I spent the first five plus years uh, running product, product design, product management, product strategy, et cetera. Uh, and I've done a bunch of other things since. Now I'm in a, a, a hybrid sort of data role and actually getting back to my roots um, in terms of, uh, you know, small team, creative ideation, stuff like that as well. But um, it's been really quite a journey. And uh, now I'm here. That's awesome. Before we jump into our topic, I, I don't think I actually knew that uh, Lation was the second company you were a founder of. Um, what did you learn from the first one that you brought to the second one? And, and why the stop at a big company in between? What was it? Uh, I'd love to understand that kind of career management, uh, and then we'll jump into product management. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So the, um, the, I mean, it, it, I'm not even sure if it's fair to call it a, a company. Basically, what happened was I had this idea. Um, that, you know, at the time, Google Translate was really, really bad. And, um, you know, computers have gotten better, so it's gotten better. But one way it's necessarily bad is uh, there's a lot of things you know as, as, as um, someone who, who wrote a text that the computer can't possibly guess. Like if I'm writing in, in Chinese, you know, I'm not going to have gender or number or tense. And so translating into English just has to guess at all of that. So I... I you know, develop this system where the computer would ask you questions in your own language to disambiguate, 
and then produce a more faithful translation. And I'm like, oh, this is going to change the world, yada, yada, yada. I, I applied with a demo um, of, of that technology uh, that I did for my, my research to um, a you know reputable startup accelerator and got in. And so what I basically did was I called up the three smartest people I knew with relevant uh, 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 experience um, in this area. You know, the, the best software engineer I knew, the best linguist I knew, the best business person I knew. Now, it happened. I was in, you know, basically an undergrad. I mean, when, when you're out of undergrad, I guess. Um, so all the smartest people I knew who I felt comfortable calling were within, you know, one year of me at Stanford. And it turned out none of us really knew uh, how to appreciate the market side of product market fit. And it just turned out that there was no market for this because of, um, first of all, the fact that translation is like such a low priority for most companies that are spending money on internet, internet, internationalization. Like even if you were 10x better, it's like 10x better on a thing that's like 1% of your overall you know, margin. Um, so that was one, one lesson. I, I think the abstraction of it actually is that Alation, which has been much, much more successful, you know, grown from four guys in a garage to hundreds of people on four continents and, you know, billion-dollar valuation, whatever, uh, our founding team could not have been more different. Um, you know, we came from three different decades. From so totally weren't the smartest people you knew? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was no, you know, three different countries of origin. I mean, really, really, uh, uh, that diversity, I think, helped us you know, pursue an idea that was actually big and, and, and not avoid these kind of pitfalls that uh, we could have avoided. But again, like the good thing about the startup was it wasn't even really a company. We didn't have to raise any money. Um, we just failed fast and, and, and learned a lot along the way. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, um, so maybe a teeny bit on, like I, I tend to think of you as a product person and a design person. I don't know if that's fair, uh, but before we go in and ask the, the question about product-led versus design-led, I'd love to understand maybe... Do you consider yourself a design person? And I know design was a big part of Elation. Can you just give us a – maybe this came from the symbolic system stuff? I don't even know. Um, I'd love to get a little bit of riff of like what your background in design and why you give that vibe. <laughs> oh, sure. I've always been super into, into design. Like, gosh, like way back is – Far back as high school, even a little bit earlier, I was doing you know graphic design projects and making little you know games and programs and Flash back when that was a thing and 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 whatnot. Um, in at Stanford, Symbolic Systems is a mix of computer science, uh, psychology, philosophy, and linguistics. Again, we we'll talk about that more later. I don't know that anyone cares per se, but I did take a, a certain amount of coursework in in the D school at Stanford and learned design there. Um, most influential for me, my, 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 my um, concentration in school was human-computer interaction, which is a huge design component. Took a great HCI class with Scott Clemmer there. Did research with the, the late, great Cliff Nass that was very influential in my thinking. Uh, Tina Selig in the D School is a creativity expert. So um, sort of absorbed a lot from some of my great mentors. Actually, my, my, my TA, <laughs> just while I'm uh, just name-dropping here, my TA for uh, the HCI class was actually Mike Krieger, who went on to um, uh, be the co-founder of Instagram. And he's like the nicest guy in the world. So of all the people who I have met who've become <laughs> successful, he's the one I'm uh, absolutely not even uh, the tiniest bit uh, um, um, you know, re re resentful of. He's the best. But yeah, so that's sort of my design um, background. And then data I actually got to later. It was, it was while working on Siri and, and looking through the logs to figure out like, what capabilities to add next and, and things there that I started trying to use data and realized how hard it was and, and elation sort of grew out of, out of that, um, in my interest. 
So, um, good segue then. So, so basically, the the, the 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 dichotomy question, as we talked about it, is it better? It's a, I think it's going to be a false choice, but is it better for product management to be design led or data led? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, David. This is not a, 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 a real dichotomy. Though I do hear it expressed that way. People are like, oh, it's very data. You know, Google is very data led design. Uh, sorry, sorry, data led product management. Apple's uh, very design-led. I think there's this truth to it, um, but I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, the way I think about uh, product is there's the the, uh, design diamond, right? So there's this sort of widening process of ideation to figure out all the different ways you could build something. And then there's a selection process to pick the optimal one for your user base or your enterprise buyer or whoever it might be. Um, And I think... Design and data have roles to play uh, in different parts of this, right? Uh, uh, so far, at least, maybe you know, in, in ten years of, of, of you know AI uh, uh, advances, you know, we'll have robots that will be able to like draw on a whiteboard, you know, five totally different approaches to some product problem. But for now, that is strictly the work of, of humans. It doesn't have to be done by designers. Design thinking can be taught to anyone and practiced by anyone. It could be engineers. It could be you know people in, the, in you know in, in, in the field sales uh, team. Um, but you've got to do that sort of ideation, creative process to come up with your options. And then I think there's there's a selection process, and at that point. Sometimes design-led is code for, well, uh, we've got a designer or uh, 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 a visionary CEO and their intuition about what users want or what the world should look like guides the selection process. Um, uh, Usually, though, there's some evidence that comes into play to make that decision, and that decision could be um, really you know, data e data. You know, uh, 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 you know, thousands of, of of records in a database, or or you know, millions of of, of clicks uh, from from an A B test. Uh, it could be that exclusively. It could be exclusively the sort of smaller sample size, but uh, deeper, uh, uh, richer uh, um, methodologies like um, you know, in UXR, where you you know sit with three users and look over each of their shoulders as they use the product and have them think aloud about what they're you know, doing and what they're confused about, um, which again, very rich. But if those the users aren't aren't representative, that could be a problem. And I think obviously, um, how this is going, a hybrid approach that uses a mix of the sort of going deep with some of these design um, methodologies, going broad with some data collection. Uh, if you can afford to do all of that, you'll probably reach a much better selection of the options you, you're considering than if you uh, you know go with one person's judgment, unless that person really has an incredible uh, uh, intuition. So, if you were advising either the CEO of a you know early stage startup, ten million minus, right, anything from the garage up to ten billion, so that kind of phase, if you were advising them on how to think about product management. What would you say? Would you say be product led, be design led, be be a mix? What would your advice be? Actually, I won't give you options. What what, what would your advice be? Yeah, I think you have to you have to figure out what's right for you and what's what's feasible. I think I think if the question is is really simple, if if you know for sure that the thing you want is just users. Right, you're not trying to monetize. You're not worried about your brand identity. Right, let's say, um, and and you can track, you know, uh, engagement or you know, MAUs or whatever else. 
and, and, and the question is just, oh, do we do, you know, light text on a dark background or dark text on, uh, on a light background and you've got thousands of users? Like, then just do an A-B test and see, you know, and, and, and make sure you um, have uh, enough stats either built into the software you're using or someone who knows stats on your team so you don't, uh, you know, mistake uh, noise for, for something meaningful. But, um, but, you know, if there's a meaningful um, re- re- result there and that's all you care about, that's fine. Um, however, you know, in this random example I made, uh, you'll have sort of a different look and feel and you, you, you'll, 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 you'll um, remind people of different apps they've experienced that are more professional or more edgy or whatever based on that choice as well. And so, you know, maybe being single-mindedly focused on that one metric isn't what you want to do. So unfortunately, you know, I'm actually a, a, a coach for this, uh, you know, B2B startup accelerator and people often want... Um, like, what is the answer at my stage? And unfortunately, it's almost always it depends. Well, I try to provide like, frameworks for how to think about these trade-offs uh, uh, instead of copying what, what you know, worked for one company might not work somewhere else. Got it. Um, you know, in, in on the more go-to-market side of things, or the more company strategy side of things, there's a kind of endless debate about should a company be product-led, sales-led, customer-led. And my answer to that is it should be strategy-led because, because as it turns out, at different phases of the company, like maybe early on, you do want to be product-led. And then if you hit kind of the tornado, you want to be sales-led. And maybe as the market matures, you want to be customer-led, right? Just to pick three examples. But but the fact of the matter to me is I think, I think those sort of dichotomies or trichotomy <laughs> um, in that case encourages – a certain lack of, I don't know, a combative spirit within the company. Oh, we're sales led. You know, it's almost like a, a pecking order. And I think that's dangerous. So, because I, I think in PM, it would be the equivalent of say, well, the design people are more important than the data people, right? Or, or, or they're domain experts. Or so, so I think there's a, invariably, especially as the company gets bigger, there's a certain politic attached to that as well. I don't know if you have thoughts oh, on that. I, I completely, um, completely agree. Yeah. So, absolutely. First of all, you know, you said it much more succinctly in terms of saying be strategy led. Like you have to understand what are we about at this phase, uh, you know, what matters, what metrics matter, and that will inform kind of how you synthesize input from data, from design, from from the field uh, 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 together. And I absolutely agree. Um, you know, when people talk about about what to lead with. Sometimes it isn't about like decision making process to do what's right. It is about who has power, and and, and ideally. Um, it doesn't matter who says something. Um, what matters is um, whether it's the right thing uh, for the business. And I, 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 I'm reminded of a little uh, discussion um, in uh, Radical Candor where um, you know, the author is describing uh, a conversation with Andy Grove um, in which um, um, he says, damn it, you know, Steve Jobs always gets it right. And people, I think, have, have mis, mis, um, recalled this as Steve Jobs always was right individually as some sort of crazy genius. Um, but what is emphasized is actually, no, he gets it right because he encourages a lot of discussion. And instead of the loudest voice winning, it's whoever's the most persuasive and, and, and logical and has the right conviction. So I think uh, uh, it, it's important to, to kind of you know, keep that in mind that it shouldn't matter you know, what department you're in. It should matter whether what you're saying makes sense. Got it. So um, maybe it would be a good time. I have a two-part question. Part one is just to tell people what elation is and kind of the founding concept behind elation and how design played into that. And, and then once, once we've baselined people on elation, I'd love to hear any stories about how you balance these things in the early days. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so, so real quick, Alation, uh, we are a data intelligence company. The way I um, sometimes describe this is everybody knows about the other intelligences, right? AI, arch intelligence, is, is computers making, you know, making uh, a good, good decisions using, you know, training data uh, these days. Uh, and BI, business intelligence, is, is humans, you know, looking at a chart or a graph or a table and, and, and making a good decision based on that. Um, the interesting thing, of course, is these are both garbage in, garbage out processes. So data intelligence refers to all the things you need to do to make sure that there is data available and that it's accurate and up-to-date and everything else so that your AI and your BI actually yield value. So that's things like data governance, uh, uh, data management, uh, data, data, um, data search and discovery. Excuse me, I'm stuttering a bit this morning. Um, all of that uh, is, is data intelligence. So that's what we, what we do. And, um, and what's really interesting is that we're a data company, but in the beginning, we didn't have any data. We did these big, long sales processes, enterprise sales, um, we, we had in the beginning mostly fairly technical users, like data scientists and data analysts. So it wasn't like, you know, we're Facebook where we can like use like every single person in Australia, you know, to, to do an A-B test. We're like, oh, we've got like, you know, a hand. Oh, also, we, we, we shipped on-prem originally almost exclusively um, because uh, uh, InfoSec teams were like, no way we're going to put any of this information uh, in, 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 in the cloud, yours or Amazon's or anyone. So we, we had um, very, very little data overall, very little access to, to that data. And so it wound up being more like a, you know, people imagine Apple of just me in the beginning is like the, the design guy uh, talking to a few users and thinking about what I would want in that, in that uh, a situation and doing a lot of, you know, uh, whiteboard design, and over time, we've been able to collect more data and, and incorporate more of the quantitative element into our plant management. Got it. So uh, you reminded me when in delivering that of Mark, the way Mark Benioff used to talk about the one 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 pledge um, for philanthropy for corporate philanthropy. He'd always say that we're going to give one uh, percent of our profits, but we don't have any at the time. <laughs> so therefore, we're going to give one percent of our equity, uh, which hopefully will be worth something, and and most importantly, at the time, spend one percent of our time uh, donated to philanthropic causes. So because uh, we want to be data driven, but we we don't have any data. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I often forget you guys kind of started out uh, on prem, uh, and, and there's not a whole lot of logs to go look at uh, when someone else is running the software. What, what, um, by the way, disclaimer, I'm an angel investor in Alation and uh, on the board of directors of Alation. I've known the company since day one. And the, the way I tell the story of that company is I met Satyan, the CEO, for coffee uh, at the, uh, what the heck is it called? The Four Seasons Palo Alto breakfast. And uh, two things happened. Fun angel investing story. One, he told me the pitch. And, and I'll tell you the pitch I heard. Just interesting, Aaron, because I don't compared it. But what I heard was basically there's too much data out there today, it, you know, back, back in the days of your, the problem was you could, there was too little data, right? It wasn't available. Now there's too much for any one question you want to answer. There's 15 different sources and we're going to, we're going to mine log files to go figure out what I said, where the, where the crowd goes at chow time to, to quote a few good men, <laughs> the movie, uh, basically like, how do you find the right, right data source? We're just going to follow people and see where they go. Uh, and I didn't say that very articulately, but I remember that was the scene I had in my head, which is we're going to use the log files. To, and rather than take kind of top-down enterprise data modeling approach where we say, this is the official source of that, we're going to take this kind of bottom-up pragmatic approach to say, well, if you want to look at marketing funnel data, most people go here. Um, so it was the, literally the fastest angel investment I ever made. 
Um, and then the other thing that happened, well, <laughs> two things to get the, the analytical part balanced with the human part. So that was the analytical part. I'm like, I love this idea. And then the human part was Satyan's next breakfast with Steve Papa, the, the founder of DECA, who I compete against, Mark Logic. I'm like, Steve Papa's in? I'm definitely in. So it was kind of the, the two keys <laughs> turn. <laughs> it's not fully That's rational. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Amazing story. Um, so no, well, well, go for it. Yep. I was going to say, I mean, both, both that sort of emotional part and, 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 and sort of, uh, you know, you know, Spock part of the brain, you know, play a role in, in every, every uh, call. So that makes total sense. I love that story. And yeah, completely agree. The, the secret sauce was how do we look at what humans are doing and kind of get the, the information about their behavior out of their heads without having to, to spend their time. Um, there was a great meme that, that developed later, but I remember actually in my undergrad experience, um, there were these two buildings on campus uh, at opposite corners diagonally of this quad. So there's this, you know, perfect square of green grass with a paved road, you know, going, you know, you know, north and then west. And that would be the right way, way to get between them. But of course, everybody wanted to go to those two buildings. It's a very bikey campus. And so literally by the second week of, of each um, 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 quarter, there would be this nasty, muddy track where everyone was biking across. And finally, my senior year, they put like pretty sandstone gravel there. And I'm like, yeah, that's how, how, how you, you want to do everything. Look where the footprints are, the bike tracks are, and, and you know, build there. And that's the, that's the organizing principle of, of elation, which, of course, uh, as a founding team, we quickly got very excited about. Cool, cool. Um, I love that story. You've probably seen the Twitter meme where I can't remember what they call it, but design versus what do they call it? They, they, they have a picture of a similar situation where there's the official path they're supposed to take and then the user experience maybe versus design. Um, so I've seen that meme yeah. and, and it, it isn't the same thing, but I'm sure it happens all over the place. But yeah, I've seen it with like every imaginable label actually in, in the meme app. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I struggled with the labels. I didn't know what to call it, but uh, that's funny. The, the, the meme in many ways resonates more than the labels. What um, Do you have any good st- uh, stories uh, of decisions you made when you were running product elation in the first five years that, that you're particularly proud of. And, and I'd like to just drill into one or two to say, you know, we nailed this, we got this right. And then try to, you know, understand a little bit as to why. Yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, because there were so many decisions all the time. Um, I think one thing that we sort of decided pretty early. I don't know who said this originally, but this quote, when you're great, you don't have to be good. Um, Because we were competing for users with incredibly mature, incredibly um, um, just feature-rich software. One thing we're trying to do is get people to actually write queries in our query tool versus these like IDEs that they, you know, lived their lives in for like, you know, 10,000 hours. Right. So it was, it was a tough sell. Um, and we decided to really say, okay, what are our unique differentiators because of this approach we take to mining the logs to kind of know what your peers are doing? How can we provide so much value uh, with that that you're not going to notice the fact that our syntax highlighting isn't what you're used to and our formatting isn't what you're used to and we're missing some that feature. Um, so one thing we did very early on was lean into this feature called a Smart um, su- Suggest, which takes into account sort of SQL syntax, 
um, the, uh, 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 um, a semantic search is what you're typing and these uh, social stats of what your peers are doing. So literally, you start with a blank screen and it just says, hey, you want to type select? Enter. Before you've even typed an S, right? And then it says, okay, now we're going to list um, all of the most popular columns, the most popular tables. If you've already said the table, we'll suggest columns accordingly. The really amazing part is after that, you have your where clause. Uh, and for those who don't see, well, don't worry about it. But the point is, it's we're starting to filter your query. And we literally, if you would type in like MA, it would say, oh, do you want to say gender underscore code equals one, right? Which is like equals one, like what? Because it'd be some enumeration where like zero is female and one is male or whatever it is. And it, it, it would just fill that in um, based on the, the catalog. And, and even before you type that, it'll list different filters based on what your peers are doing. Hey, do you want to filter to this? Which means, you know, uh, uh, customers in, in Europe or whatever it is. So this feature was really kind of a wow moment. Uh, it's not something anybody even knew they could ask for. Normally, you know, you're just completing what someone's already typed. You don't have suggestions, you have nothing to base it on. It felt a little more like what you would see in, in sort of the Google autocomplete because we have that kind of information, but from the, the query log. So we, like, over-invested in this feature. Um, the, the really powerful version of it actually was the opposite. It's when if you're about to write a query that mentioned a table that was deprecated because it's got bad data quality or it's stale, we would highlight it in red, kind of like, 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 like with the squiggly underline you know, for spell check, but here it was a trust check. It's saying, hey, you know, think twice before using this, and you can mass over it and see why. And once you see that, you're like, well, crap, I can't use any other tool but this because maybe I'll make a mistake and not even know it and get in trouble. So these sort of differentiated features uh, uh, gave us the time we needed to catch up and, 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 neutralize, excuse me, um, some of the stuff that our competitors had that we that we didn't. And I'm glad we took that approach because I think if we tried to play catch-up first, we never would have gotten off the ground. Now, how did you know, and I promise not to turn this into a discussion of uh, data intelligence, but but um, how did you know your, news, your users needed that kind of tool? Because I was on the board of this company. I knew the company pretty well. Or at that point, I was on the board, but I was advising Satya. Um, and I knew the company pretty well. I was a BI guy by background. And I didn't know you guys had built a query tool. When I first heard it, I like fell out of my chair. It's like the world doesn't need another query tool. Was my first reaction, <laughs> and I was like, "What are you guys doing?" Um, and then I learned what it was, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is not yet another query tool. This is, in my opinion, it's a query tool for data scientists who actually need one." Because um, because no one else was building query tools for that profile in my mind. But how did you guys know? That's my positioning of it. We could hear yours, but but. As somebody running product, why that feature over 20 other features? What, what led you there? Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. Um, it, it, yeah, so I think the observation in the beginning was, of course, if it's just another query tool, yes, the world does not need one. Uh, the world did need a data catalog, but the world didn't know it yet, right? That was the thing. We would say, hey, you know that problem where like, you have to call up? Uh, you know, the analyst down the hall to figure out which table to use and how to join it and how to query it and whether it's accurate. Uh, and they're like, yeah, like I, I, I do know that problem, but that's just a fact of life. Like, what do you want me to do? Go to this other place? It sounds like, like a wiki. Why is that important? So we just had this problem of like, how do you get engagement? Like, we, we, we can make this, you know, this, this wonderful well, but if no one knows it's there and it's out of the way to go to, um, they're not going to drink from it. So um, 
you know, after doing a lot of user interviews and, and plastic interviews and whatnot, it just became clear we had to go where people already lived and show them the value of our approach in terms of this, you know, behavior IO, um, you know, looking at what people have been doing. We had to show them that value where they lived and then have that kind of point them back to the mothership of the, of the data catalog. Um, and, and the other thing, by the way, we, we found was that we can actually contribute to the catalog using the query tool. So another fun feature we did early on um, was a title while you wait. So you, you, you know, if you're an experienced analyst, you write your thousand line SQL and you push run. And then, you, you know, you're about to go get coffee because it's going to take a while to, to chug in the back end. And before you go, we say, wait, um, while you're waiting for your query to run, like we know you're not doing anything <laughs> why don't you tell us about the table you're querying or this weird column name that's got a bunch of random characters in it? What does that mean? And then we would kind of, you know, beam your answers to, to the mothership and to all of your colleagues. So, so it became a nice way to feed the metadata as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, let me do a quick room reset here. So you're listening to the SaaS Product Power Breakfast. Uh, our guest today is Aaron Kalb, co-founder of Alation. Uh, we're talking about data design and disagreement in product management, or at least ostensibly what we're supposed to be talking about. My co-host is Thomas Otter. He's not feeling well today, so he's going to be fairly quiet in the background. But Thomas, if you feel like chipping in, as always, you're welcome. Um, the room is being recorded. And if anyone has any questions at any time, please uh, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'd be happy to take them. So... Um, let's go back, Aaron, if we can, to some of our uh, material I pitched in my blog post. Dave, hang on. Well, well, oh. you've, 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 you've coerced yep. me or cajoled me into asking questions, <laughs> so let me, um, let, me, uh, let me do that. Um, um, Aaron, uh, you know, I've, I've also been, I don't call myself a designer, but I've been through, the, you know, I've been through some D-school, uh, uh, D-school training and, and, and um, you know, I've done, the, I've done all the post-its um, I've done the sort of collect the post-its uh, design thinking um, uh, exercise m- many times. And so I guess my question is, um, there's kind of a little bit of a tension between uh, people that have really trained in design. And so who, you know, have done three, four year degrees in design and really majored in it. And then people who've done like uh, a six week um, design thinking immersion exercise and think they know it. And um, this is one of the tensions I saw saw at SAP um, was that sometimes um, a little bit of design knowledge is useful. Sometimes a little bit of design knowledge is actually very dangerous. And so when do you think in in building products you actually need professional designers and when is, you know, hey, I've done a bit of design thinking um, uh, good enough? And then, you know, following on from that question – um, when you think about a company like it gets to your size, how do you create a career for design people? Um, uh, how do you, you know, how do they grow within a company? Um, because what I've seen often is they get they get affixed to one particular product, and then after a little while they're they're stuck. You know? And how do you create a, a career for people people in design? Uh, those are two things I like like to explore. And again, I'll I'll take my uh, I'll take my cough back onto mute. <laughs> oh, Tom, I hope you feel better soon. Uh, excellent questions. Um, um, so, so we'll get to the design career one in a bit. In terms of like a little bit of design knowledge being maybe dangerous or worse than nothing, it's an interesting point. I, I think there's a big difference between um, sort of, you know, graphic design and brand design and the more sort of visual, um, you know, 
taste and fashion influence side of things in which, you know, you can teach somebody about the rule of thirds or the golden mean or, you know, whatever that, oh, you know, white text on photos is big now, even if it's, you know, not uh, possible to read or whatever. Um, That's something that I think um, some people, you know, have more or less of an eye and you can develop that eye through an MFA and other things uh, or not. And, and, um, you know, often it is true that if the CEO is like, I like Logo 5 better, you know, that can then be a mistake and versus deferring to the folks who uh, are really trained. But I think for UI, UX design, the kind of design that's relevant in a, in, in a product context, in a, in a product design in general, um, I, I actually am quite skeptical of this idea that somebody, um, just because of their training or their vocation, are just going to be right just, just because, like, oh, I can just tell this is a better interface and you shouldn't argue with me because I'm a designer. If you're really a good designer, you ought to be able to articulate why that is correct in a way that anybody, regardless of their background, can understand. Um, and it's obviously better if you have data. Hey, look at this video in which every user is confused by option B but immediately gets option A um, or, or a uh, you know, more quantitative, uh, instrumented uh, version thereof. Um, but there's also even just first principles. You know, I, I would always explain to engineers who are very, very rational um, you know, you know, the, the, the idea behind, okay, we have this taxonomy where you know, each step, you, you know, everything appears at the level of the application and everything appears at the level of the uh, 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 of the query and everything over here is you know it, it's for this window and so we can't put that button up there even though it would make your life easier because the user you know subconsciously is understanding this hierarchy and that'll break down so um, so I think I think um, you know you shouldn't fall back on 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 you know your your title but really try to uh, uh, refer to logic and what's good for the user the other thing I'll say about that is. Uh, absolutely, a four-year course is better than a six-week boot camp, and and you know, reading a hundred textbooks is better than reading one article. Um, but I think there's something that's better yet for designers that um, that there's just no way to, to to fast forward and get, which is the best designers and best product managers, in my view, are the ones who just go through life like an annoying two-year-old asking why about everything and not but but not why like 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 a two-year-old or or, or, or the or the stand-up comic who's like why the heck do people blah 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 you have to ask with the real curiosity of a scientist like why is this doorknob like that why does the elevator make that annoying chime on each floor and then think oh well i guess if i were blind that wouldn't be annoying that that would be useful and and likewise if life presents so many things that have been designed or product managed uh, well or poorly or for you or for somebody else. And if you just are always thinking that way, um, you can build a skill set that's really applicable, um, you know, in a deeper way, actually, than you can get in, in any course, I think, you, you, even a full, a full uh, major. Um, real quick on design careers, I think um, some designers grow into amazing product managers. Uh, and the trick there is to make them let go of just asking, what do I think is... Um, you know, elegant and what is great for this one user and actually saying, even though this too long and to kind of put them in that position of making those trade-offs instead of just being a tireless, you know, UX advocate 
kit and the PM is natural progression. But I think there's absolutely levels within design. You can vocate designers to different products. And I think you absolutely should. You always want to have somebody who isn't the specialist in that feature, that product, um, do um, re- re- reviews of others' work. And that gives, makes, makes rotation easier without having to do lots of onboarding. So I think those are a few of the things you can do to keep designers uh, engaged and, 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 uh, and give them promotions and, and career paths. I want to uh, pile on emphatically to one of your points. Um, the, the whole you see it everywhere you look or you go through life. Um, the same, as you know, my wheelhouse is marketing. And I feel that way about marketing. Like I see it everywhere. I look for it everywhere. Um, and it, it, and that's whenever I interview a marketer, I, I, I literally try to figure out if they bleed marketing. And like if I cut them, you know, it's because they don't have an opinion about it. They're not just going to know tech or their category. They're going to have opinions about everything. And, and to a certain extent, I care less about whether they're right or wrong, right? And more about do they go through life seeing marketing? Fun story. Uh, as you know, Aaron, my daughter is a brand manager in yogurt. And one time I opened up her yogurt and they had a cross sell message on the underside of the lid. And I immediately mailed her, as one does, <laughs> saying, why are you cross? Like, I'm not in a moment of purchase. I'm in a moment of consumption. Why are you cross-selling me on your plant-based products when I have bought a milk-based yogurt? Um, it's just the wrong thing. And they actually changed it for what it's worth. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was coincidence. <laughs> um, but, but, but literally, I can't open a lid of yogurt. And by the way, another fun story on that, on the whole design versus user experience meme, was I posted that challenge on Twitter. I said, what would you write on the inside of a yogurt, aluminum yogurt lid? And half the people responded, don't lick me or lick me. And I hadn't actually realized that people lick those. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, holy shit, people lick these? Uh, so, uh, you know, another moral in there somewhere, right? Get user feedback because we, we don't all see that lid the same way. Completely. I remember uh, in, in the uh, HBO comedy Silicon Valley, there was a scene where they were explaining that the uh, Faye yogurt, you could tip the jam or the honey into the main thing. I did not know that until that, that scene either. So, so many secrets in yogurt, all these affordances, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I remember I was, that scene with Ehrlich Bachman uh, getting upset about the... the it, uh, <laughs> I remember, exactly. Yeah. What I used to do, actually, was I, I would roll up the, the aluminum to make a little spoon or just something that, again, uh, wasn't obvious that I saw a monkey do once or something, so I did it, too. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, well thank you, Thomas. Um, so let's go back. I, I want. So we've talked a bit about data. We've talked about design. Um I think I want to, well, I want to talk about disagreement. Well, how did disagreement get into our proposed title here, Aaron? What, what, um, it was in your first email to me, not your second one, but, but I'd love to understand. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully you didn't try to pull it out, but, but I thought it was an interesting topic to have in. What were were you hitting on when you said, let's talk about disagreement? Well, you know, part of it is, as you know, uh, Dave, is I, I am hopelessly, uh, 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 alliterative and you know, my, my <laughs> after this comma should i put the word that that actually makes sense or one that begins uh, the same way so um but no disagreement i think is at the heart of what being a product manager a product leader is right um you know your your job is to synthesize um you know different viewpoints that sometimes are totally orthogonal um, and I think being able to do that in a way where each party feels respected, where there's a sense that the decision that will be made will be based on what's right for you know the company, its customers, its users, its shareholders, and not just based on you know who screamed loudest or who has the the most senior executive uh, you know whatever 
uh, prefixes to their title, uh, I think is really important to building a healthy culture and, and, and to making a successful product. So I think absolutely it's sort of at the core of, of, of what the job is. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of my theories, Aaron, and I don't know, this we have not talked about, but but I think the occupational risk of being a product manager is you end up with incrementalism. Like you, I, you seek to minimize disagreement in aggregate in some ways, right? Let's make everyone a little happy. So if you had a, you know, a, if you had a frontier that was six feet wide, you'd move one inch across the entire frontier every release. So you could tell everyone, right? Kind of the politician is PM, not the strategist. Hey, I could tell everyone I gave them a little something. Now, as a marketing person by background, it's a nightmare for me because I have nothing to launch. Right, Elation makes broad progress across you know narrow, small progress across uh, small progress across a broad front is not exactly yeah. a great press release headline, right? Um, so uh, I've always argued I think it's better to not do it that way. But but I hadn't thought of it the way you do. But disagreement is key there because those people in some ways are trying to minimize disagreement, or, or, or I don't know if minimize is the right word, but they're trying to take away everyone's ability to disagree a little bit because there's something for everybody. And, I, and this sort of incrementalism, I think, is a horrific way, actually, to, to, to run a product. Oh, completely agree, yeah. And, and, and you know, we, we actually at one point where we had a really bad structure internally. We, we had this idea of, like, the, the, there was a three, there's a foundation of our product and three pillars and a supporting this other thing. And, you know, there was a, someone in engineering who, like, kind of had ownership over each pillar. And so everybody wanted to have something in the next release. And finally, I'm like, guys... You know, this is great internally uh, for implementation, but we're going to have actually focus on one pillar in each release so that the people who care about that are like overjoyed and the other folks will, you know, will be equally excited when it's their turn. I think the, the word compromise is interesting because it sounds like a good thing in the context of a negotiation, but obviously if you compromise on quality or compromise on innovation, that's bad. And I think there's something there. The goal is not to meet in the middle of where the points happen to be with some crazy, you know, overshin window logic. It's no, it's, 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 there's violent, violent disagreement. There is a fair process and there is a decisive decision that is the right thing, given all the factors. Awesome. Um, talk to me, if you will, about some of the best and worst decision-making processes you've seen in, in product. Sorry, great, great question there. I think, um, I think, you know, <laughs> there are two interesting phenomena uh, uh, that happen because of how data play, plays a role in this. I mean, I think the worst decision-making process all of us have seen is, you know, where the highest-paid person just decides and everyone's afraid to argue, or when they argue, they get beaten down, and what that person says goes, whether or not it ends up being, you know, logical at, at all. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we as a company say that data is the antidote to that. Um, but it turns out, you know, even with, with data, um, you have to address the, the cultural element. Uh, one fascinating thing I see is people using data as a weapon uh, and conversely using data quality as, as a shield, right? So the situations where the data is all like hidden away and hard to use systems, uh, only certain people have access and so uh, the PM before the meeting gets all the data to support their point of view or, or whoever it is, you know, the, whoever's lobbying for it. Um, when the analyst says, you know what, this data actually points the other way. They say, great, thanks so much. I'll leave that here in the trash instead of on the PowerPoint slide. And uh, when people question it, they say, well, the data supports this, right? So if you're going to use data to try to be right instead of to try to do the right thing, yeah, he doesn't actually help with with uh, decision making. The other thing I find interesting is uh, somebody brings data to the table and someone says, "Oh well, 
Um, the data isn't always reliable. Maybe there's a sample bias. Oh, it's a small sample. Those are all great points to make. It absolutely, uh, you should not take you know a sample size of five and and do what you know four out of five you know users did or, or anything like that. But when you just have this vague idea that because the data isn't always perfect, I'm just going to ignore it and do what I want, that doesn't help either. So very quick story here because I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I left Apple ultimately, left Siri, even though I loved parts of the job. Uh, because of this, I, uh, you know, as you can probably tell, <laughs> I'm a pretty enthusiastic uh, uh, person. And so, uh, you know, I speak in an animated way uh, by voice. And when I would write text messages... Uh, I would often use an exclamation point at the end, to the point where when I when I wouldn't, uh, people would be like, "Are you mad?" You know. So anyway, um, when I was working on Siri, I tried to do everything I could through Siri to to dog food, and so I would say, you know, send the text to my friend saying, you know, "Good morning!" Exclamation point. And I swear to God, half the time it would interpret exclamation point uh, instead of making the little bang symbol, it would, it would write out excavation point, like a place where Indiana Jones would do a dig. Right? <laughs> this drove me nuts. And I'm like, okay, N of one, but like, I, I've never in my life wanted to write excavation point. Can we please just like correct this? And I first suggested the hard, but right thing, which is to fix our model. Because, um, well, the reason that's happening is that we have this huge corpus of newspapers uh, that don't include exclamation points as a symbol, let alone, you know, compared to how it would occur in speech uh, and texting, let alone does it occur at exclamation point, you know, written out in English. And so the right thing to do would be to have a bigger corpus and to translate the bangs into the words so that you can translate them back. Um, but the minimum thing would be to just say, hey, can we just make exclamation point, you know, bounce back? And... Um, Basically, this person didn't want to address it, and so they're like, "Oh, well, maybe someone some of the time wants to do it." And I literally like learned a new programming language and got onto her HDFS cluster to like run this huge thing overnight to determine that literally, out of like I think it was like five million occurrences of excavation point, there was only a single one where it occurred after the word "a" uh, or "the" or "n" or "the." <laughs> and if you think about it, like exclamation point, the the punctuation. Um, has to occur at the end of a sentence, right? Whereas if it were just this noun phrase, excavation point, you can't just say, like, I like excavation point, right? You have to say, I like the excavation point, or I like an excavation point. So literally, this this data, in my view, um, you know, proved that, you know, for every one time somebody might intend to say it, there's, you know, millions when it's just a mistake in our transcription. And the guy was like, yeah, well... You know, I don't know. And there's actually even more to the story. I'll, I'll cut it short now. But the point is, it was this realization for me that, oh, he didn't actually mean let's do what the data suggests. He meant, I don't want to do this. And I know the data is so hard <laughs> to, to bring to bear that probably he'll give up. He just didn't know who he was dealing with. And so that's uh, part of what motivated me both to leave Apple and to, and to go to Alation was, what if data were so readily available these discussions could actually be a fair fight between ideas to do what's right instead of, uh, you know, you know, data being this way to bludgeon your opponent or to, to defend against uh, not doing what, uh, not, 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 you know, not having to do something. Awesome. Awesome. Love the story. The other one, I, I don't know if you, can't remember if you addressed this one or not, but one of my favorite, so I like the data as a weapon and data as a shield. Um, the, the other one to me is just cherry picking data. 
Um, there was an article yesterday, uh, I, I tweeted it, but it basically says, scientists have been noticing a trend of people conducting clinical trials and creating hypotheses after the results by cherry-picking data. They passed a law requiring researchers to publish hypotheses before running the study, um, right? Cause, awesome. Cause it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're literally, yeah, like this, when I get to company metrics, like if you go to any board meeting of almost any company, they will tend to cherry-pick the metrics that were good last quarter, Right, and then you come to the next board meeting, and like, just say the CAC was high. All of a sudden, the CAC's not. You know, CAC doesn't matter anymore. We're focused on uh, churn, you know. And, 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 and so, uh, <laughs> so this is why I'm a big believer, by the way, in, in standard templates and standard metrics. So, because so, I don't, I want to kind of force the management team to 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 not cherry pick. They just say we're going to agree to always show these things, and once we agree to that, then you lose your ability to cherry pick because I know it's such human nature to do so, and I sit on a lot of boards and I see it all the time. Um, so I, I don't know if there's other other examples. We have data as a sword, we have cherry pick data, we have data as a as a shield. Any, any other data metaphors? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can do data metaphors all, all day, but I think uh, I think I think you're absolutely right. The scientific method really has some good guidance uh, on, on how to conduct business, right? And and um, you don't want to be like that XKCD comic where, you know, you, you test 20 colors of jelly bean and then one has a p-value less than 0.05 and you publish, right? I don't know if you've seen that, but it's, it's really great. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we all do well to have a hypothesis and, and, and be really, um, um, you know, rigorous about the process of, of validating or invalidating. Okay. Um, anyone have any questions for Aaron? We've got about 10 minutes left and uh, certainly be a great time to ask one if you had any. If not, I can do a few more. Let me just see if any hands go up. Uh, um, I guess while we're waiting to see if anyone wants to weigh in, uh, I'll, I'll let you pick which question you want to answer, Aaron. We have, we have two. Well, actually, let's do this one. Why, why don't we talk about hiring? H- how do you hire strong product leaders? Yeah, a g- great question. I think... Um, I talked before about this idea of, 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 in my view, some of the best designers and PMs being those who are just like re- relentlessly uh, looking out at their environment and, and asking questions about it and resolving them in their own head. And by the way, they've since uh, working with you, um, uh, for those who, uh, who don't know, uh, Dave, Dave actually was uh, interim CMO at Alation, came down from the board to, to help us out. And, and uh, I learned so much from him. And since since that, I also look at every ad I see on TV or you know, you know, Facebook or whatever uh, through not through your eyes, obviously, but through eyes uh, you've, you've trained, and it's been uh, a total joy. Um, and a lot of things that were just totally perplexing before, I think I understand whether or not I, I agree. Like, oh, that's why Britney Spears is drinking a Coke. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, to, to test for that, I actually have a very standard way. I don't want to say too much because maybe somebody on the, on the call or the podcast may one day apply to Alation. I want to give away all the secrets. But, um, but I always start a PM um, or designer interview uh, this way. I'll ask, what is a product you love? Of course, and why? Nobody's asking why. Uh, and that's a really easy warm-up. Uh, if somebody can't immediately say, oh, I, I could name 25 things, 25 reasons a piece, uh, they're probably not going to be good. <laughs> um, then I ask, uh, okay, what, tell me about a product you hate and why. Not one that you like saw and therefore don't use. Like one you have to use all the time, but you hate it each time. Uh, tell me what it is. Tell me why you hate it. Usually people have no trouble at all, uh, so I keep that part pretty quick. The fun part is I then ask, great. Why do you think the product was, you know, designed, you know, specced, 
uh, engineered, released in that way that you hate so much. Um, and then things get really interesting. Sometimes people just go silent. You know, you, you, you know I know Thomas has a cricket effect he could, he could play here. Uh, and, they, and they say, uh, oh, God, I hadn't thought about that before. That, to me, is a warning sign because uh, every great PM I know, when they hate something, they immediately think, what was happening in the smoky room where like, that decision got made? Um, but some people can only come up with a human frailty explanation, like, oh, I bet the engineers were incompetent or the PM was stupid or, you know, you know, some political thing happened and that's where they made it the wrong way. Um, that is absolutely a possible hypothesis, but I find the best people who are going to succeed are the ones who can come up with really charitable explanations in which the people who made the thing the, quote, wrong way were smart and, and, and they're kind of the, uh, the, the, the chump. So, for example... They'll say, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, I'm probably not the intended audience for this or that reason. Or, oh, I guess this is actually a, 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 a freemium product. I'm in the free tier, so why would they bother making it good for me? This is the time when I could have upgraded, and instead I just, you know, pounded the wall. Or there's a hundred things that could happen there that are good answers, and it's obviously going to depend on, on the problem, but I find that's a really great way to get somebody who will be able to... Um, be a good participant in your culture and not piss people off and, 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 and be able to um, make good decisions. And also somebody who, who is kind of has the right habits of mind to be a good uh, PM or PD. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm going to riff on that two seconds myself, Aaron, because as my career advanced, the closer I got to being into that, in that smoky room, the more I realized that the people were in general smart. And if something looked stupid, you didn't understand one of the constraints. Right, Big um, and that's true about products. It's true about company as well. Just even like the company just did a reorg, or we did a riff, or we did a, like the closer when you're actually in the smoking room, uh, you you learn that. So so I, I default now to exactly what you say. I to be honest, I don't think I would have passed your interview when I was 25. <laughs> 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 uh, but but now now I would. Um, and then the other one to me is, is a slightly off topic, but um, a friend of mine is an economist. This is not my son, but, but another friend of mine is an economist. Um, and uh, he, his assumption was always if, if there is a behavior like the second serve in tennis, assume it's correct and try to figure out why. Don't assume it's just some stupid superstition. Right, uh, assume because second service in tennis to me are, are an interesting. I'm not a huge tennis fan, but it is an interesting concept, right? Um, and, and and a lot of people just basically me at 25 would assume it's stupid and wonder why they do it. Me at, at 55 would would be like, hmm, I wonder why they do this, and, and I wonder if it's actually correct. Let me assume it is. I don't know. I, I think you get the point. It, to me, it's the same. The same spirit. No, no, it, 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 it's completely right because it isn't enough to ask why. You got to ask it in a, in, in, in a tone. Of, of sort of humility and curiosity. It's absolutely the key. Absolutely. Okay. Um, got about five minutes left. I think the last question I want to ask you before starting the wrap-up would just be, look, look, you founded the company, uh, Alation. Um, you you ran PM for five, five-ish years, and then you had to hand off the reins. What, what was that like, and what advice would you give to founders who are maybe wrestling with that question right now? Like, should I hire a head of PM, a quote-unquote professional? <laughs> no offense. <laughs> um, should I, whatever, outsider, whatever the word is. Um, I'd love your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think you know, uh, being a founding product person uh, gives you certain superpowers, but also certain liabilities. You know, one thing I remember is 
we thought what we built was very innovative and therefore very uh, unique. I guess you should say very unique, but it was, 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 was um, you know, one of a kind. And, and so, um, you know, one mistake we made was whenever people would ask us about competition, you know, we would always uh, um, say, oh, no, no, we don't, have, we don't have any competitors, right? Like, we're totally special. And, of course, like, that's not a good thing to say when you're trying to convince somebody you're doing a useful thing. If you're doing a useful thing, a lot of people are going to try to do it. And the right answer is we do it better, not we do it totally differently. Apples and oranges, we can't compare. Um, so, anyway, I, I think uh, outside perspective has helped us in so many ways. Um, and this is my own career. I, you know, my, my title didn't change for five years, but my job changed every day because we were four people and then we were 20 people and we had, you know, one customer and then we had 50 customers, right? And, and, and you know, this is quote, uh, I think this is kind of a, a, a pat us up on the back reassuring quote for a founder every day at a startup that you keep your job is a promotion. Um, it's also an internal transfer <laughs> because um, in the beginning, uh, you know, the good news was I could do, you know, big, sweeping product strategy, product vision, whiteboard, blue sky, whatever, uh, um, you know, as, as much as I wanted. Um, but also, we didn't have anyone else on the team, so I was doing, you know, incredibly minute detail UI, UX, you know, what should the rounding be on our buttons and the hover state and this and that. So it was way then in the weeds, uh, way up in the clouds. Um, but I loved both a lot. And then... Um, you know, there were a lot of steps along the way, but I woke up, you know, uh, let's call it five years later and was like, oh my gosh, my job is looking at spreadsheets and Jira uh, on the one hand. So the weeds is no longer like designing interfaces, talking to users. It's, it's, it's dealing with like huge tagging data sets till my vision literally blurs. Uh, and the big picture stuff I'm doing isn't, oh, are we going to start with the analysts and then move to the to IT and are we going to, you know revolutionize the way people, you know, find data and have discussions. No, the big picture stuff was, okay, in the next release, are we going to do 10% tech debt, 40% bug fixes, 50% new features or, or what? And I'm like, gosh, I don't enjoy either of these things. I'm not nearly as good at these things as I was at the other stuff. And I'm not nearly as good at this as people who spend their whole lives um, thinking about those problems uh, uh, and love it and are great operators, great uh, executors uh, 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 could do it. So it was very clear that like it was no longer a good fit, even though it was on paper the same the same job that it once was. Um, and of course, the, the one part of the job I did love was hiring. And I'm very proud to say that, um, you know, every uh, PD I hired, we barely had other PMs, uh, uh, um, uh, but every, 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 uh, PM and, and product designer that, that was on the team has since been promoted and is, is still doing great work. So that was the part I loved at scale. But um, um, I think it's more fun to be a founding, for me, more fun to be a founding product person than a uh, large company product person. And you just got to know, know yourself and figure out what the right path is for you. Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's very interesting on how like you didn't change, but you know, it's not you, it's me, whatever. It's not me, it's you. You didn't change what the job did, and it changed a lot. Um, I think that's true. For worth in sales, the same thing happens. Um, you, one day, a lot of salespeople look up and they're spending all day in spreadsheets and forecast calls, and they're not selling anymore. Um, and, and sometimes they go back and sell because because that's what they like. Totally. Um, so look, um, let me wind this up. I want to thank you, Aaron Thomas. Did you have any final comment before? No, I, just uh, great show, Aaron. Thanks, thanks for coming on, and we'll we'll yeah. catch up. We'll catch up soon. 
Okay, thanks, Thomas, for joining us today. Thanks, folks, for coming. Aaron, thank you. I thought it was it's always just a pleasure to talk to you. Really enjoyed the session, and uh, we will see everyone next time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave and Thomas. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Aaron. Yeah, take care. Thanks a bunch. Uh, Bye-bye. Let's spin down the room now. See you guys.